You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We all make judgments about people we meet, don't we? You meet someone for the first time, you talk to them for a few minutes, and you walk away with a, with a perception of who they are. Maybe limited, you might recognize that, but, but there is something, we, we make some determinations about that person. So I'm going to put two different people, descriptions, on one at a time on the, on the screen, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, okay? So if I could have person A on the screen, <clears throat> okay? So person A has significant influence within their company. This person has earned three advanced degrees. They've been in 31 countries. They drive a Cadillac, and they lead an organization with a bright future. What can you tell me about this person? A type A person? Well, it's person A. So, yeah. So, that makes sense. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Kristen? Okay. It could be a she. We haven't different. There's no gender. But yes, you're right. Okay. Okay. Good. Anyone else have any thoughts? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, we, we won't elaborate on that. Uh, let, let's quickly put up person B. Okay, so person B, in, in comparison, has had multiple seasons of extended unemployment, was not accepted into a university, does not like the fly, and drives a 14-year-old car, and they led an organization that no longer exists. What do you tell me about this person? <laughs> okay. What if I told you this was the same person? Okay. Actually, all those can describe me. So, and here's why. So, person A, a significant influence within their company. As a campus pastor, I have little influence within Grace Covenant community. I do have three degrees. I've been in 31 countries, but I hate to fly. I do. I, I am a nervous flyer. When I get on a plane, I know what the weather is like between here and there. Um, and so I have this weather app. And so I know that, right, if it's an hour-long flight, I know that 30 minutes in, we might have a little turbulence because the cloud's there. I mean, I have it all mapped up in my brain so I can prepare emotionally. I have to sit by the window so I can look out, the, so I can look it out. If you sit by the window, you control the shade. If you sit on the aisle and the person closes the shade, I just can't handle that. That just doesn't work for me. So, but that doesn't keep me from getting on a plane and going places, and I have had opportunity to travel. Um, I do drive a Cadillac, <laughs> but it's a 14-year-old. But but it's a 14-year, <laughs> it's a 14-year-old Cadillac that was given to us. Okay, so I didn't. Buy, so and here's the thing: when it was given to us, I literally said, "I, I said I, I'm not a really. This is I don't. This is not me." So I went to take it in to see to trade it in to see what I could get for a trade in. So this was a few years ago, because I've been driving now for a few years, and it had, it had at the time, had 86,000 miles on it. Cadillac DeVille, you know how much they're going to give me for it? $3,500. What can you buy for $3,500? Nothing. So you know what? I've been driving that Cadillac ever since and loving every minute of it. It's like driving, it's like riding on air. 
Um, now, there were a few times because when I was working for the, the district, our denomination's district office, that if I had to go visit a church, especially if it was a small rural church, I would trade cars with Betsy. Um, she has a Honda CRV. I didn't want to be the proverbial district official showing up in the church parking lot with a Cadillac. Um, I just, I, I didn't want to have to deal with that. So, but that, but that's there. Um, there was a church that I was at that about a year and a half after I left, they closed up shop and sold the building to another church and it, that particular congregation no longer exists. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. The one, that's a great question. The, 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 the school where I just got my PhD denied me acceptance when I first applied. They, they just said, we're not going to accept you in the program. And so I, I appealed it. I said, listen, I think you've made a big mistake. I need you to reconsider. And they did. Um, and so they did let me. So at first, I was, I, see, it, I couldn't say that in here because it wouldn't work. So I had to actually create a little disconnect there. But yeah, so, but I was turned down to get in, into that program. <laughs> So, so what's, what's my point in doing this, laying it out this way? Okay, very good. Most of us, so, sorry, Carrie? There really is, isn't there? Um, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to make amongst, um, in addition to that is, most of us have multiple scripts in our life. Sometimes, like me, they're running simultaneously. And we have a choice to decide which one we're going to follow. If, you know, in other words, so if I was, if I just wanted to follow the person B script, that would, I would have a very different outlook on life. I forget how, how we'll mention that here. How I would perceive life, how I would approach life, how I would engage people, my level of confidence, my ability to trust, all those things would be affected if that was the script I live my life by. As opposed to person A, which is obviously much more optimistic and positive. And we've met people, I'm sure all of you have met people, who live life according to script B. Even though they may have good things happen in their life, they don't even see it, they don't recognize it, because they're preoccupied with all the negative stuff. So sometimes we have this, these multiple scripts running simultaneously, and we do have a choice as to which one we're going to believe and accept. There's others of us that have two different, or have, a, have different scripts, but, they're, but there's a very distinct difference in season. Um, and for instance, um, growing up, my dad was a director of a drug and alcohol rehab center. And so I encountered growing up just a lot of men and women who told their story, you know, before coming to Jesus and after coming to Jesus. Before coming to Jesus was a very different script, a very different movie playing out in their life. After they came to Jesus, it was night and day. It's that idea of having a different script in life that we're going to look at today in this, is the matter of Paul. Paul is one of those individuals in the Bible that has a, clearly has a before Jesus life and an after coming to Jesus life. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking in chapter 1 still. <clears throat> So we're in week two of a six-week series on Galatians. And if you remember last week, we learned that Galatians was a letter written to a group of people. It was what we call a circular letter. 
And the analogy was, is if someone was writing a letter to the churches of Grace Community, they would send it to us here in Statesville. We would read it, look at it, discuss it. Then we'd pass it on to the group in Cornelius. And when they were done with it, they'd pass it on to um, East Lincoln. And that's what was happening in Galatians. So it was a circular letter meant for a large group of people. The church at that time period that Paul was writing was very dynamic. Um, and so there, where was the Christianity had gone from one that was exclusively Jewish uh, with an Israeli Hebrew worldview paradigm. They referred back to Abraham and David, and that was their context. And now Christianity was beginning to expand into not only Jews of different culture, Hellenistic Jews, but even Gentiles themselves. So it was, we we're seeing that cultural demo, uh, dynamic. Relational conflicts, you can see in Acts where there's, there, we, we actually looked at uh, where the widows, um, the Hellenist and the Hebraic uh, widows, were, there was conflict as to the food distribution. So we're seeing that happening. We're also seeing um, where the theology, how we understand certain things about God was yet to be defined and determined. Um, and so I think, uh, if, if I remember correctly, the word I used was messy. The church in Acts was very messy that we like to talk about. And that was what the context for Galatians is, is happening. We also know that Galatians was written before, if you're looking at Acts as your timeline, it was written before chapter 15. In chapter 15, they settled the issue of circumcision and the Gentiles needing to follow the Jewish law. So the fact that Paul never addresses that suggests that it was written prior to that date. And then the other thing we talked about is that even today, there is still pressure to conform to religious traditions of the past. Today, even today, we still do that to ourselves. So, but we're going to take a little closer look at Paul in order to better understand his notion of grace and what it meant and just in his own life and how we see that played out. And uh, so I think it's on the screen, Galatians 1, starting with verse 11. We're going to read through verse 24. <clears throat> I want you to know, brothers, oh, it's just brothers. I wonder what version they used. You guys don't know that, do you? You just pull up the slides. NIV actually has brothers and sisters. So, translation. Let me read it from mine because this is what I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with. So, I, we'll be close. Um, actually, I think if you're like in King James Version, it actually says the word brethren. Uh, um, so, we know it was a broad context to include women. Um, so, we have no trouble adjusting that here for our conversation. So I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human... Let me read it here. That way I'm not confusing you. Sorry about that. I didn't realize that was that different. Huh. Okay. I need to find... It's part of my learning. I need to find out where they keep that file online somewhere so I can access it as I'm preparing my sermon. All right. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. 
Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Father, in these next few moments, as we dig a little deeper into this passage, open our eyes to see, Lord, our ears to hear, and may your spirit uh, speak to us, to each of us individually, that which, which we need to hear this day. Thank you for your word, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple thoughts here, a couple notes here about the text. In verse 11, it talks about brothers. It was up in here. Some of our verses say brothers and sisters. Uh, clearly, what we know here, that's not a blood relation connection. That's uh, a common relationship to Christ, that Jesus often referred to his, the apostles as brothers, that they shared a common identity in Christ. And so he often referred to those as brothers or sisters in Christ. However, if you drop down to um, verse 19, we references James, the Lord's brother. That is what most scholars believe. That he is referencing the physical, biological brother of Jesus. That there were other, the other members of his family. He was not an only child. And so in that context, the brother is actually the physical brother of Jesus. Verse 11, he talks, he uses the, the phrase, the gospel I preached. Now, the gospel that Paul preached, what he's referencing here is nothing to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the, the divinity of Jesus. And that's not what he's referencing here. What he's referencing in, instead was that his gospel, the gospel he was preaching, was not built on law and, and Jewish tradition. And that this revelation from Christ was, upon, was what he based his entire position. So Paul was saying that, listen, we all understand, even the Christian Judaizers, those who were coming down from Jerusalem and, and, and trying to convince the Christians that they needed, they needed to follow the Jewish laws and traditions, he said, even they believe in, in the gospel as what we're talking about. The, the, the part of the gospel that I'm now bringing to you is the fact that you don't have to follow Jewish laws and traditions. And that's why he spent his entire position, this, this really the entire book of Galatians and most of Paul's overall ministry rested on that idea that we have freedom in Christ. We don't have to follow those laws and traditions. Now, in verse 16, he's talking about an immediate response. You know, that my immediate response was not to, to go to Jerusalem, but he, but he went to Arabia. The immediate response, what he's talking about there is in reference to his Damascus Road experience that we see in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember? He's on his, actually, and he's on the road to Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians, and Jesus encounters him there, and it's a, it's a great story, and it's a great thing of a story of transformation for what happens to, to Saul. That's what he's referencing here. He's saying, when that happened, I did not go from there. I did not go to Jerusalem to meet with the other leaders. I went away. 
That's the point of reference there. He did not consult with any human. What he's trying to say here is that this idea of not having to follow the Jewish law or tradition is not a human idea. It's not something I dreamed up. Now, he just said he did go to Jerusalem after three years, but he met only with Peter. He saw none of the other apostles except for James, and that he was completely unknown to the churches in Judea. He really wanted everyone to realize that he was alone in this. In other words, this was not a group thing, that there's a, there's a unique calling and a unique word that has come to him for the churches at large. We're telling the people that what I have, what I'm telling you is brand new. And I received it directly from Jesus himself. That's the key. So this isn't something I dreamed up. This came directly from Jesus. So within that, Paul had to establish his path to get to this point. All right, what makes me so significant? Why did Jesus pick me? What makes him so special that God revealed this new truth that we don't have to follow the Jewish traditions and customs? that we're free just to live our life in Christ through faith. Why did this come through Paul? So Paul begins to tell us part of his story, that before he was known as the great apostle leader in the church, he was very passionate about the Jewish law and traditions, advancing well beyond his peers in power and influence. Although he does not tell us in this particular letter, we know from the book of Acts that Saul was actually an enemy to Christians that his intent was to kill Christians and actually eliminate Christianity. So what he does tell us in this letter, however, one is that he was a promoter of the law in his prior life. This goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. There was a prior life in Christ and a post-life in Christ. Prior to this life in Christ, he was a promoter of the law. In Philippians, a letter he wrote to another group of Peter, he said this, a similar conversation. He said, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, in their actions, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was Jewish tradition. I was among the people, I was born within the the people of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his genealogical lineage all the way back to the children of Israel wandering around the, with Moses. and all. It, We're going back a long time, generations, hundreds of years. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And with regard to the law, he was a Pharisee, which were known as the most religious, and they had the more laws. And as for zeal, he was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, he said he was faultless. So he, was, he, made, he, he, he held nothing back. He said, if that was your standard, I was your poster child. If you want to look up what a Pharisee was in the dictionary, you're going to see Saul's picture. He was the epitome of what it meant to be, some, to be that. Here's the thing, what's interesting, if you actually want to know what is the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus, for me, it's the life of Paul. It's the life of Paul. First off, no one commits their life to something and suffers for it and dies for it if they knowingly know it's false. Okay, I I mean, no one does that. Secondly, what we see in Saul becoming Paul is a complete 180 degree turn in his life. So he went from a life where we couldn't even socialize with Gentiles. 
He could not be in the home. As a Pharisee, he could not enter the home of a Gentile. There was that big of a cultural gap and, and a, a, I don't want to say hatred, but it came very close to that about from Jews and Gentiles. He went from that to overnight becoming a missionary to Gentiles, to trying to share the gospel with them. He went from someone who followed Jewish laws explicitly. If there was a T to be crossed and an I to be dotted, he did it. He went from that to telling all the new Christ followers, you don't have to follow the Jewish laws and traditions anymore. And that's a 180 degree complete shift. So if you look, if for me, what's the greatest evidence of the, of the risen, of, of the resurrection of Christ? It's the life of Paul. Because of what, his, what the choices he made and what he did, that's not something that someone does because they're making money off of it. It's not a, a profit scheme or something. So we know that Paul was a promoter of the law in this past life. We also know that he was a persecutor of the church. He tells us that here in Galatians. We know in Acts it was that way. You know what our first introduction to Saul is in the entire Bible? It's in Acts 7, goes into chapter 8, the stoning of Stephen. So we first even are introduced to this person when a Christian is being killed, is being martyred for the gospel. In fact, Acts 3 says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Here's the thing we need to remember. There's precedence for this kind of behavior in the Old Testament. This was not just Paul being somehow being kind of this rogue Pharisee. This was actually a celebrated behavior within Israel. And we see it in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 25, God is very displeased with the Israelites because they've been intermarrying with Moab population. And it's, they're, they're actually, it's one of these, these scenarios where you've got, the, God has drawn all the people together and they're getting chewed out, if you will, by God. And in the middle of all this, an Israeli man runs into camp with a Moabite woman and run into a tent. And uh, one of the Israelites, Phinehas is his name, sees this runs into the tent with a spear and runs them both through. Here's the thing we need to realize though. Right after that, God says this. He actually acknowledges Phineas's behavior and and, 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 and says this is good. He says, therefore tell him I am making a covenant. This is God talking to to Moses. Tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So because Phineas killed those they thought were opposing the law, God honored that and spoke highly of that and said, your family for generations will benefit because of that. That was remembered all through the life of the Israelites. This is what I suspect is in the back of Paul's mind. Paul's not out to killing Christians because he's anti-Christian. He's pro-God. And he thinks that he's somehow holding up the honor of God in his actions. If you wonder why Muslim extremists are doing what they do, it's the very same thing. In their mind, this is not applicable. For them, they're trying to uphold the honor of God. Except in their case, the West, us, were the Moabites. And so we're the ones that need to be wiped out in that if we're zealous for the honor of God, we would do something similar. So you, you see how 
this 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 pers- this actions on Saul and Paul, while we can look back today and look back and say that was terrible, you can actually not that we were to say oh, right, we can come to terms with it, but we'd actually see how it developed and how it got to that point and why things were that way. So we know that Paul was a promoter of the law. He was a persecutor of the church. We also know that he was a preacher of God's grace. Of the 27 books or letters that were written in the New Testament, 13 of them were written by Paul. If you want to just take the words that were written in the New Testament, uh, there's, uh, I forget, I mean, thousands of words, but uh, I actually didn't write that down in my notes. But I know that 24%, if you just took the words, 24% were written by, 24% of the New Testament was written by Paul. Um, so, and most of those had to do with this theme of grace. Uh, so this was a very important uh, idea for Paul. So understanding this, what might be some of our takeaways as we look at Paul's life and his transformation? <clears throat> because of God's grace, power, and provision, I think we can have our past forgiven and a brand new start on life. We can have our past forgiven and have a brand new start on life. I think it's actually kind of odd that Paul never talks about his past, except in these historical accounts. Like you know, this is what a, he, you never saw anything right where he's remorseful. Man, I just feel really bad about what happened there. There's no conversations like that in there. Yet, directly because of Paul, people were arrested, they were put in prison, they were beaten, and some were even killed makes me wonder, why doesn't he even discuss it? Why doesn't he bring that up in any of his conversations? One, he's either this cold-hearted, remorseless individual, or I think he came to fully embrace the truth that when he encountered Jesus, his past no longer defined him. It's not that there weren't repercussions for past action decisions, but that was not what defined him anymore. Like my illustration earlier in my Cadillac, um, Paul determined that the script being written of his past life was over, it was thrown out, and a brand new script was being written. So we have a brand new start on life in Christ. Second thought is that your life can be transformed as you embrace the refining of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier in verse 17, Paul's talking about, he's referencing the Damascus Road experience where he encounters Jesus. Um, And then it actually says that he goes to Arabia. That's not Saudi Arabia, as we might think today. Most scholars think in the context and the political alignments of the day, it's probably in present-day Jordan or Syria is where he actually went at that point in time. Why did he go there? He never tells us. What did he do while he was there? He never tells tells us. It's one of my big questions. When I go to heaven, I've got a list of questions I'm going to go when I go to the information booth. Um, That's one of them. You know, what was Paul doing in Arabia? Um, The other one is I want to see reruns of creation. I just think that would be cool. Um, So anyways, so why did he go there? What was that all about? Here's my guess. um, And and that's pretty much where I can leave it is uh, as a guess. He needed solitude in order to rethink his life. I mean, you think about the shift that he's just gone through. 
you know, living, his whole world was based upon this certain perspective. Everything he did was based upon this certain perspective of life, of his view of reality. How we understand everything was based upon this certain viewpoint. And in an instant, that changed. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil? Like, what have I been doing with my life? And how do I make sense of this and that? And everything what you thought was true is now false, and everything you thought was false is now true. And I just think Paul needed time to just process that and to understand what does this all mean? What am I supposed to do with this? One of my kids had uh, one of their science experiments in school was to, um, they ordered um, milkweed pods and they had, um, or the caterpillar? Monarch, thank you. You've, you've, you know what the one. So we got in the mail and, this, and we saw these little caterpillars and over time they would grow and, and unfortunately, most of ours died. They never made it all the way. But a couple of them actually formed the cocoon. And I think actually one of them hatched. And so we weren't really good. I don't know why. We didn't do anything. It wasn't on purpose. But here's the, the caterpillar. In order to become a butterfly, that caterpillar has to enter this transformative state. It has to be transformed. In our context, we have to let go of the present and embrace the unknown. Which is, we, we have to, in order for us to see that change. How many, of, how many of you enjoy looking at the leaves in fall? The color, I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? When we lived in Connecticut, it was just, we lived in a postcard. Um, Norman Rockwell's stuff was just an hour and a half away from where we lived. It was just phenomenal. But what's actually happening to a leaf when it's that bright color? It's dying, isn't it? It's only in the process of dying does the true color or the beauty of what it can be actually begin to emerge. No one said the process of being transformed into the image of Christ would be easy. But it's one each of us needs to embrace if we are to become what he wants us to become. The third thought is that God can work through your past and bring hope for others, hope and help for others. Verse 24 says, and they praise God because of me. Who would have thought God could use someone like Saul? Can you imagine what they were hearing, the Christians of the day, living in fear, wondering if he's going to come get arrest them, and then hearing that now instead he's actually one of us? I think one of the greatest challenges for someone who is without hope is overcoming the thought, no one understands me, I'm all alone. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Your story, your life story is important and can bring hope to others. My life before Jesus, my life after Jesus. Now, for those of you who think you don't have a story, um, I made the decision to give my life to Jesus at the ripe old age of five. At least I think I was five. I don't. I can't remember. I can't remember a time in my life when I was not following Jesus. Um, that's just what how I grew up. It's just the household I grew up. Um, but again, I, as I mentioned before, in high school, my dad was the director of a drug alcohol rehab program. So I'm hearing all these testimonies of transformation. What God has done, delivering them from alcohol abuse and drug abuse, and just amazing, powerful stories. And I would hear this and think, Yeah, I don't have a testimony. I got nothing. You know, I, I you know, almost made me wonder if I had a, if I should go, you know, do something sinful 
so that God could redeem it so that I could now have my testimony. So I'm living with that guilt, you know, like, like I didn't quite measure up, you know, and um, until my oldest son was born. Uh, and at the, uh, shortly after we, uh, he was born, we actually moved out to California where I was uh, going to grad school. In our apartment where we're at, the, the front of the oven door, when it was on, got really hot. I mean, the uh, insulation was probably non-existent. I mean, it was where you would, you know, blister-type burn hot if, if you touched it. And we've got a form, actually, at this point, Samuel, Samuel, he was running everywhere at the time. So we needed to, um, we need we were really afraid that he would burn himself when the oven was on. So we made it a policy, kind of ours, was to train him that the oven was always hot. So even when the oven wasn't being used, don't touch it. It's hot, hot, hot. And, and the amazing thing is he never touched it. He never touched it. And I remember this one day, think, just kind of re, re, reflecting that, and I felt God speak to my heart, which is the greater evidence of grace? Having someone touch the stove and learn from their mistake. And yes, their blister might be healed if they got burned and, and they never touched it or never touching in the first place, even if you wonder if it's really hot, but never going to have to suffer that pain of that experience. And I realized that was my testimony is that I didn't, God saved me from that. So some of the, God can redeem any pain, any hurt, anything that you've gone through in the past. God can redeem that. But for any of you who are like me don't have this life or past life to, to hold up like, like Paul did, I think I've got a pretty cool testimony as well that for whatever reason, I was prevented from having to encounter that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Regardless of your story, never doubt the power of its uniqueness. Your story is your story. No one can challenge it. No one can deny it and is powerful and can mean something significant to other people. Lastly, let me finish with this thought. There is no limit to what God can do through one person who is fully committed to him. The script that is your life is still being written, and you will determine what the future chapters look like. Don't let your past determine your future. Romans 8.1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would suspect that in a group like this, that there's some here this morning who are carrying an overwhelming burden that is in your past. And you've let it define your life. It's defined your, even your present. I guess my encouragement to you would be is that you need to let it go. Maybe today's your day. Some of us need to recognize that both the good and the bad in our life are used by God to shape us into the image of his son. Do you ever notice that the best stories in our life are sometimes not always the easiest? Sometimes it's the hardest struggles that we look back on with the fondest memories for what was happening at the time. Don't minimize the power of your story to others. You are a walking miracle. Christ has done in you, the life that you now have is a miracle. And believe that the best chapters in your life story have not yet been written. I love that the best is yet to come.
We have no idea what that looks like. But God isn't done working with you yet. God hasn't brought you to this place in your life to say, all right, I'm done. You're on your own. He's invested an awful lot of time and energy into you. And until that day when you breathe your last breath, he's going to continue that process in you. Let's pray. Father, my heart goes out to some who may be dealing with their past, whether it's guilt or shame or just embarrassment, whatever it might be. Maybe it's feelings of insignificance. Father, my prayer is that they would feel your touch right now. Lord, that they would, Lord, know beyond any doubt that you have forgiven them, that that past is no longer even looked at by you. You tell us that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, which literally means they no longer exist. They're not even there. Father, that's how you see us. Lord, may we come to accept that as well. So Lord, I pray if anyone is struggling with that today, that you would, Lord, do a miracle in their heart. Allow them to let go. Allow them to breathe without that burden, I ask. So Father, we just thank you for the life of Paul, recognizing that there's all kinds of things going on in our lives. But Father, we can determine, we can decide how we're going to view those events with eyes of hope and faith and expectation, oh Lord, and not with eyes of discouragement and defeat and hurt. So Father, this day we choose life. This day we choose hope. This day we choose expectation because of you. And just uh, we're thankful again for the life of Paul and how he's helped us understand this relationship with you in an even more powerful way. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.